All right, so we are in the epilogue, guys, and we are with bated breath waiting to hear uh, the That's answer right. to the question. Uh, what is it that you know to be true about AR and VR that your colleagues in the space, your competitors would disagree with you on? That's right, we got the short answer, but now here in the bonus track, we are ready for the full on take from Robert Rice. Robert, take it away. This is probably going to get me blacklisted from half a places. Okay, hanging uh, okay. out with us is going to make that happen. Anyway, so, <laughs> You've already been cool, cool. <laughs> so, all right. So, the, the the like I said, the short answer is right idea, wrong implementation. Um, and this is something I started thinking about, uh, gosh, a long time ago. Uh, and I actually wrote a wrote a book uh, on this topic, but it was really targeted more at the um, the MMO industry. Uh, cause it's like, I predicted, well, I don't, God, when was it in the early two thousands, I came out and I said, Hey guys, the MMO industry is dying. It's, you know, it's going down the wrong path. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, this book is crap. You know, this guy's what he's talking about, you know, world of Warcraft is making millions of dollars a day, you know, well, whatever. Once South Park makes fun of you, it's all downhill from there. Right. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. And, uh, but, but I was like, no guys, you know, I'm looking ahead a bit and, and I'm going to circle back around to VR and AR in a minute, but this is kind of setting the stage here. Um, but it was like, when you, when you look at, look at games and again, like we talked earlier about, you know, introverted students and, and, you know, how they vicariously do whatever. Um, there's another really awesome guy whose research you should read. Uh, his name's Richard Bartle. He's one of the, like the, the original, like grandfathers of like online games, like going back several decades uh it's amazing guy and one of the things he uh he wrote was uh was bartle's uh player archetypes and the simplified version basically breaks down players into four different categories and we all have different levels of of um uh, affinity to the different the four four types you've got killer achiever socializer and explorer and when you think about games and, you know, players, that's pretty much it. Achievers, I got to get all the milestones. I got to get all the badges. I got to get all the stuff. Killer, I just want to blow stuff up all day long and be the number one PvP guy. The socializer, I want to role play. I want to have my little kingdom. I want to be the guild leader. You know, I want to have fun and I'm always in character. And then the explorer. These are the guys who try to break the system that explore every last inch of everything. Uh, actually, as a matter of fact, I think somebody finally... Uh, a week or two ago, somebody in EVE Online uh, has literally spent 10 years and like they're the only person that's explored like all what 7,000 systems or something. It was like it's a massive achievement. Yeah, right. With like minimal combat or just something crazy, but definitely an explorer type. Um, and then when you look at, again, MMOs at the time and kind of see where things were going, the social aspects and the, um, well, primarily social and to a lesser degree, the explorer aspects were kind of just being weaned off and everybody was get the next level get the next badge or blow stuff up and the worlds even though there's always new ones and whatever coming out um they were really focusing hard in those two particular categories and it's like game mechanics really haven't changed it's still the same quest the same can this same can that and even with new things coming out um you know whether it's a uh, you know divinity or cyberpunk or or, you know, you just take your pick, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, it's still a lot of the same can mechanics. And you do have a few outliers like Skyrim, for example. Great game for, for the explorer type, for sure. 
um, and you know, to a lesser degree also, you know, socializers. So anyway, so I, I felt like they were going down the wrong path and they really needed to do something different. And one of the, the key elements there was thinking about mechanics and thinking about the game world itself. So instead of me waiting for the next, um, you know, DLC to come out and go through the same raids everybody else is going and killing the same, you know, King of Dragons over and over and over to maybe get a better score or faster time. It was, you know, the, the, the player, I mean, it's supposed to be a role-playing game. The player really isn't the central, you know, point here. So I thought, what if you take that model and you switch it upside down and get back to the player itself? How do you give the player an experience where, they're actually contributing something and they're accomplishing something as opposed to doing the same thing everybody else does. And if you think about uh, game dynamics and world dynamics, how can I affect my world? How can I do things that have a lasting sort of effect? You start getting other opportunities. So one example is trying to move away from polygon sort of worlds and moving more towards voxel-based systems. Doesn't seem like a whole lot, you know, but Minecraft is kind of voxel-y. Um, but Voxel-based systems, you can do different things to your environment that you can't do uh, in a, in a polygonal-based system without a whole lot of simulation and pre-canned stuff and it's real heavy load. No, no, voxels aren't perfect. They have their own issues. But in a voxel world, you can literally pour contents from one into another, right? The physics that you can break a wall down and the physics will always be different every time. And there's so many other things you could do. You could freeze a river and then walk across it. You know, try doing that in a regular polygon sort of world where they're just using a straight particle system. It's not going to happen. Or think about, um, you know, casting a spell and like making dense fog show up and like you've got to literally carve your way through it. I mean, there's so many really unique things you can do in a voxel-based system. And then when you do that and then you do other things like how can we build in other mechanics where a player can get some other players together, create a town, you know, whatever, and then build trade routes with other towns and really like le like legit grow a city or something. That's pretty cool. What if you've got mechanics in there for taking over and assassinating people and political intrigue and all these other things that would appeal more to socializers and explorers while still entertaining the other guys? Or how do you take AI and do something completely new? You know those goblins you keep beating up on? Well, what if you toss in a little bit of AI and some artificial life sort of elements where if one gets away, he's going to remember it was you that beat him up. He's going to find another goblin, you know, a caravan or town or village somewhere and get them all wound up. And then, you know, a year later, you're out with your buddies hacking and slashing and this horde of goblins comes over the hill and they all got like, you know, pictures with, with you on it, like coming after you. You're like, holy crap, what did I do? But when you build in those types of things, you end up getting way more better experiences and the player is now you know famous and they're creating narratives and stories and it's about them uh, and it just opens up things so anyway I was very critical of the MMO industry and I kind of I'm always a little hung on to some of that and then looking at like AR and VR it's some of the same problem where we tend to fall into the same ways of doing things over and over and over and you know you start seeing the same novelty experiences if I see another ad campaign or I'm going to scan a label in AR and watch a video and then that's it. I'm probably going to, you know, toss my cookies. Oh, yeah. It just drives me crazy. Oh, there's yeah. so, there's so much more you could do or in VR it's the same types of, you know, user interactions, or there's this really big push for photorealism. Like, Oh my gosh, we have to have photorealistic, whatever. And it's like, no guys, your brain fills in all kinds of stuff. 
if you make something feel realistic, um, you know, again, the mechanics, the physics and everything else, it doesn't matter if it's low poly or high poly or super photorealistic textures, you can give somebody an amazing experience that they will never forget if you focus on the interactivity in the world around them. Um, so, you know, so the industry is missing tools to make it easy for grandma to be making her own VR content. It's missing tools for, you know, high school student to create their own augmented reality experiences out on the street. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at everybody, there's no, there's no like AR or VR community, really. There's no metaverse. There is no oasis. We've got these little silos like, you know, be Second Life or, you know, Facebook's, you know, social or whatever. But even then, it's missing pieces, or they tend to be overly caricaturized or overly, you know, work in one style. Or it's at the other end of the spectrum where there's 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 no rules, there's no regulations, or like a VR chat. You know, it's like anything goes in VR chat. And you know, our first user's experience is probably some eight-year-old kid coming up and cursing at them and doing crazy stuff. And it's just like, yeah, why, why am I even bothering here? So there's a lot of tech and a lot of cool bits and pieces but there's still not a nice unified vision. Um, there's a lot of people talking about things, not a lot of people doing things. And the few things that do come out, again, there's generally a good idea, but the way they implement it really isn't well thought through or isn't researched. They haven't, you know, we talked earlier about what 40 years worth of stuff that's out there in research and ideas. And these are all being rediscovered daily by people that are, I just graduated college or I'm a business guy and I see the money so yeah. I'm going to start a company doing this, or I'm a finance guy, or we're a big company. We need to do blockchain too. So we're selling blockchain tea now and iced tea is on blockchain. And it's like, <laughs> you get, I mean, you, you, right, that happened, right? You get a lot of that. And there, there's very few people out there, um, you know, like me and not, not, I mean, like not my big super ego or anything, but that we've been immersed in this area for a long time, or, you know, we're not stuck in academic, academic research in very fine areas. Uh, but maybe we've got experience in multiple other industries, you know, or we've taken the time to really think through these things. And, uh, you know, one example I like to use a lot, I read a book years ago uh, by a guy named Bob Rice, no, no relation. Uh, and it was, uh, uh, I read it because it was by Bob Rice. Um, and it was about business and chess. And, you know, he was really deeply involved in like the New York chess scene and a bunch of, he was a really cool guy. And one of the examples in the book was the difference between a really good chess player and a chess grandmaster. And, and I was like, okay, well, this is interesting. So a really good chess player thinks ahead, you know, three, four, five moves or whatever, and then adapts as he goes. Whereas a chess grandmaster sizes you up, figures out how he's going to destroy you and what that board is going to look like at the last move. And then everything he does is to get to that singular goal, but he still adapts along the way to what you're doing. So you've got two people that are adapting to a situation, you know, doing good, but one doesn't know where they're going. They're just doing it. And the other one has a very clearly defined sort of example or destination. It's kind of like I'm saying, I'm going to drive West and you're saying you're going to drive West to third street in San Francisco. You know, we both may adapt our routes to get there, but you know where you're going. And when you approach either technology or business or even education to some degree with this particular mindset, it's like, here's the end goal. So for me, I think about what would the most amazing AR or VR experience be? Or, you know, what, what do I really want? Or what's in the matrix? What's in the Oasis? What's in Snow Crash or whatever? 
and you think about those use cases or, or even like, you know, the, the tennis hologram and total recall, right? And you think about that's the destination. Well, how do I build that? What's necessary to make that? And then you start deconstructing it, working your way backwards. You end up with a, a much better approach. You can figure out some, some IP or intellectual property choke points that maybe nobody else has figured out yet. So you can start targeting these things. But you also get that really nice, clean path to a destination that you can still you know, adapt and evolve along the way. But you've got a, it's a more holistic sort of concept of where you're going after. And I think that a lot of people in AR and VR now aren't going through that thing. They say, hey, wouldn't it be cool if I could do X? And then they just go down this one line without really kind of doing the homework or thinking about what's the actual user experience here? You know, yes, it's cool. I can scan a label or whatever, but what next? How can I make that better? How can I make that not a novelty? Um, you know, I mean, there's just, there's just way more to it than that. So I think that you have a lot of, like I said, right ideas. We're going to do an amazing 3D world with all this stuff but the implementation fails because they don't think about this from other perspectives or other angles. They don't really get a cross-pollinated team of people together that can say, oh, have you thought about this? Or have you thought about this? Um, and like to circle back and one thing we were talking about earlier, you know, when I was first started thinking about seamlessly blending AR and VR together, you know, that sounds really cool on paper, but you know, what are the implications of that? How can you really create value? And one great example, um, and this gets back to what I said earlier about avatars. If you have a child that may be, let's say, learning disabled, or maybe it's had a traumatic experience, or there's some other sort of problem, they can't relate to, re relate to adults, or they don't want to go to a brand new therapist's office, or they're afraid of the police, you know, or whatever. Um, how, do you, how do you handle that without creating more trauma for the child? But if I've got that that one-to-one -one AR, VR blend and crossover, I can have a remote educator or therapist or law enforcement officer log into your house and pick a Dora the Explorer avatar, pick a Barney the Dinosaur avatar, pick a you know Pikachu avatar or whatever, and then interact with the child at their level in AR as a friendly, uh, you know, known, um, you know, personality or, or just something that's easy for them to to feel like they can be safe with and talk to. And then like this, like, you know, wow, that creates all these other sort of opportunities again for therapy, for education, for healthcare. I mean, the list just goes on and on. But it's that simple, you know, trying to think about what those end goals and experiences are and then kind of working backwards to take the right idea, but to implement it the right way. You know, how do you monetize? How do you make engaging? How do you make interesting? And how do you make it accessible, I think it's just, it's missed on a lot of people and they tend to just copy what everybody else is doing in a rush for money or in a rush to just, you know, get something out there, so. We talk about that exact principle in education all the time about, uh, you know, how do you do great lesson plans? Well, where do you wanna be at the end of the semester? Where do you wanna be at the end of the school year? And then reverse engineering it from there, backwards designing your lesson plans from there. Um, I, I think that's a really powerful point. So it, it certainly makes sense from, an educator standpoint, it certainly makes sense, I think, from a technology standpoint, like rather than just saying like, hey, why'd you do this? Because uh, I could. But what is, it, what, is, uh, what is it that we're trying to do with the tremendous tools that technology is giving us right now? We, um, so I've, I've built the, uh, the largest VR labs in the K-12 space uh, in the Southeast. Uh, I did my capstone project at Vanderbilt on, on VR and education. And I'm seeing a trend towards students creating their own content 
um, aside from Unreal Engine and Unity, uh, which seem to you know kind of have a duopoly on the, the development side, what are some ways that you would talk to young people about being able to create their own experiences in VR? What are some of the best tools out there? Do you agree that Unity and Unreal are the kind of industry standards and that that's kind of the best use of their time to get pretty comfortable with those two domains? What are your thoughts yeah. about kids creating their own VR experiences? Um, I think, so I'll, I'll work backwards a little bit. So. I think Epic and uh, Unreal are, or I'm sorry, uh, Epic's Unreal and Unity's Unity are, are absolutely the two best ways to go. Um, they're both easily available, pretty much free unless you're making commercial stuff on it. Um, the learning curves are, there are a little bit of learning curve there, but they're, they're still accessible. Uh, any high school student at least can take a couple of weekends with a few you know, cheap Udemy courses or whatever and make their own AR app in Unity like like no time at all. Uh, you know, spend a little bit more time and you can do some amazing uh, stuff in 3D with Epic. I mean, Epic tends to be a little more sophisticated, right. uh, sort of more cinematography, cin you, know, you know what I mean? Cinematic. Cinematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Unity tends to be a little more accessible and more mobile oriented, but they're still extraordinarily powerful. And if you build a couple of, you know, weekend apps or whatever, you're well on your way to establishing a uh, a portfolio that'll get you a job somewhere, right? Whether it's a designer, programmer, whatever. There, you can do no wrong picking up either of those two tools. Uh, having said that, there's a lot of other really interesting tools that are out there and also accessible. And uh, I'll use A-Frame is probably a really good example. Um, with a little bit of JavaScript and some other sort of stuff, you can create some really cool, simple, uh, you know, 3D, web 3D, web VR sort of experiences um, and that'll run in a, like a browser. No plugin needed at all. It's just it's there. And there's plenty of other open source projects that are, you know, bringing in like real-time voice so you can have multi-users talking to each other. I mean, it's it's a it's a great thing to do. And we're actually going to be poking around a little bit with, uh, with A-Frame and some other, you know, web-based, um, you know, 3D tools because it's you know, part part of our, our idea is that a, a three an object like a, let's take a chair for example, a chair is a chair regardless of what it looks like. So as long as we keep something on the back end where this chair has these properties, it has this functionality, that's cool, and then we'll display it differently depending on if it's Unity or Unreal or A Frame or some other sort of thing. So it's like we're kind of abstracting out how it looks versus how it's you know treated in the back end. Anyway, my whole point though is A-Frame would be one that I would certainly look at. And I think um, when you let, when you give kids, you know, whether you know, middle school, younger or older or whatever, the tools to create as well as just experiment with, um, they end up learning faster. It's easier for them to teach other students. They can, um, uh, you know, exercise their creativity a lot better. And it also gives them more of a holistic sort of experience. When you're trying to build, build an experience or a game or whatever, you have to learn a little bit of code, you have to learn a little bit of scripting, you have to do a little bit of narrative design, you gotta write your story, you have to think about the interface, you gotta create some art assets, you have to think about sound effects. I mean, there's a lot of little pieces, whether it's writing or coding or, or you know, 3D or 2D or illustrations, I mean, it's straight across the board. And so with some really simple projects, you're giving a kid a really well-rounded, uh, you know, experience a lot of different things that they can always come back to 
uh, and leverage later. Maybe they want to do a science project or extra credit for homework somewhere else or make content for some kids in a different class. I mean, there's so, so many things you could do. Um, so it, it's, it's worth a teacher taking a little bit of time to kind of do some research. And, you know, actually, that I don't know if this is out there or not, but maybe it's time for uh, a teaching resource portal that just focuses on interactive media as a whole and tries to kind of bring all the resources and stuff in one spot and just makes it easier for teachers because they don't always know what to look for. This is part of my side hustle, actually. I, um, I am involved in, in, in the curation of that content. If there was a, and look, we, I didn't bring you on the, uh, the podcast to pitch it to you, but um, you know, we, we, we do, um, you know, we do share that content with schools um, and th th that's the game I bring. That, this is what that's we're it. doing. Awesome. To scale. You, know, you think about reverse engineering, what you're trying to reverse engineer, I think is the first technology that makes education cheaper, makes education more efficient. Mm -hmm. I think the internet's going to go into three dimensions, right? So mm -hmm. I think kids have to own the means of production, excuse my Marxist terminology, <laughs> and we have to, uh, <laughs> we have to, we have to get uh, kids building um, web places and uh, three-dimensional assets. You know, we, we, we have kids in Blender and Maya trying to sell mm -hmm. on the, the asset stores. We're, we're already in that game, but um, <clears throat> what I'm doing now is trying to get all of that content in one place and letting schools subscribe to that content because it has to be almost like a textbook it has to be updated every, you know, every three months. It's got to be updated. So yeah. you know, it, it's it's a uh, it's it's a business model um, that I think would have some teeth. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I'm I'm kind of, I'm right there with you. You know, it's like, you know, I want to build you know the great big thing, but I'm also trying to run a business, right? And it's like the, the, up the truck right now, right? You guys yeah, yeah, right. And it's like the, the two main thrusts here are, are location, because I think that's, that's, that's another thing I think the rest of the industry is missing out on. They're all talking about the cloud, blah, blah, blah. And they're not really making things location specific. So location first, and then monetization, uh, obviously, because I want to make money. But at the same time, the way we're we're structuring everything. It's like, I want all the users in the stack to have a way to make money. The businesses, the brands, the, you know, the speculators, the content creators, and the actual, the end user, you know, and, you know, we'll also have, have a marketplace where, you know, if I'm a, like a 3D kid and I, I made a cool 3D pink flamingo, great, submit it to the marketplace, get it approved, and then have other people buy your 3D pink flamingo to put it in their front yard for their AR experience. And then maybe somebody else will like, hey, this is cool. I'm gonna write an animation script for that pink flamingo, or I'm gonna write, you know, some cool game mechanic behaviors for that pink flamingo, and I'm gonna sell that as a package. And it's like, I think that when you make something that's monetizable for those content creators, like a YouTube, like a, you know, whatever, as soon as you make it monetizable for people, they're gonna flock like crazy and it'll start feeding on itself. And you get a lot more traction faster. But it's also a way to kind of give people um, some skin in the game and benefits from it. You know, I mean, geez, if, if Twitter was smart and they monetized like like Twitch does, or you know, some other sort of things, I just think if you put more, the more control and the more monetization you put in people's hands, I think the better it's going to be, and you end up with you know much better business, much better community. Um, but also, you got to shoot hard for that accessibility, which I think ultimately, you know, kind of comes in handy for 
for education side. So yeah, I'll be, I'll be happy if, you know, in a year or two years or three years, I just start seeing people sharing stuff on Twitter or Facebook. I made this and Omniscape and check it out. And here's how I made 50 bucks or here's this cool thing I made for my chemistry class or, you know, whatever, like, okay, I win because I enabled that. And now I can, I can rest and, you know, go on and do something else. So, so our listeners are curious, tell us about your company and, and how you guys make money. Um, so we're pre-revenue, so we haven't quite made money yet, but we will be making, we will be making money very soon. We're actually, uh, I'm kind of in the final stages of doing our, um, kind of our short-term roadmap and launch. So we're going to be turning some early access stuff on, uh, probably the first week of December, basically just go sign up on the website and you'll get some free stuff that you can leverage later. Uh, and then in January. Just so really fast. It's kind of a rollout. So basic, long story short, it's Omniscape. So we're trying to do the whole AR, VR thing, focus on businesses and brands. Um, but one part of this is um, virtual real estate, which is, is kind of kind of sexy. Love that. So for like like buck fifty or two dollars, some real cheap sort of thing, you'll be able to to buy a location, which is basically like it's a hex it's about maybe 21, 23 uh, feet wide. It's fairly sizable, it's like a dollar, two dollars, whatever. Um, and you like like a domain name, and it's all yours for like two years. Um, you can buy as many as you want, or, or whatever. You can also trade and sell them, which is a whole other story. Uh, but during the time that you own that hex, blockchain, uh, I can hear you block. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's just, yeah, it's one hundred percent on blockchain. Um, but so we're gonna make it really accessible. So what, it's really cool though is that uh, when a brand or somebody places paid content at the location you know that 3d starbucks coffee cup that you can pick up and collect and get a free coffee for or maybe somebody's made a really cool game or art installation and they want everybody to see it they'll pay like a dollar to make it on the public channel or whatever we'll do a revenue share with whoever owns the hex location so it's like okay well i can be making free money by being smart about which locations i want to pick up mm. or maybe i just want to pick up the hexes from my boss's house or, you know, if you're a lawyer, what, what's that? Will you hey, to a lawyer? Probably. We actually, I've got, I've got the IP stuff pretty. There's some really interesting stuff here. So I could go for a whole hour just on that. Practicing law for my friend here with the uh, Boston College Law Degree. I wonder about practicing law in VR. <laughs> oh, yeah. Please, please, no. My, I retired my law license. I'm not practicing law. <laughs> However, I wonder what bar you would have to take to uh, be, be the first be VR bar lawyer. Yeah, the VR bar. Can we get uh, around that idea? The VR bar. That, that, that's a good question. You could, could probably monetize the hell out of that with COVID for sure. Um, but uh, but yes. So so kind of the idea here too is again, you know, monetizing for everybody. Think about all those guys working from home that do like SEO management, social media management, you know, whatever. So okay, if you really want to be, you know, another side hustle spend like 20, 50 bucks, whatever, and go buy all the locations for your local mall and then go talk to all the store owners say, hey, for extra hundred bucks a month, I'll manage your AR VR space. I'll drive traffic. I'll create some AR campaigns that'll get more people in the door, help you make more money during COVID and after COVID. I'll drive foot traffic like all day long. And that's what we specialize in. Is anyone doing it? Is anyone doing no. <laughs> We're like the only ones that are monetizing AR and VR for businesses and brands. It's like it's ridiculous. I like I good luck finding somebody else that has monetized AR VR on their webpage. And I think if I'm you find them, let me know. Sell, uh, 
VR curriculum to K-12 schools. I don't think, I think in, in terms of actually developing AR and VR. Like the people well, are- well, well, yeah, you know what I mean? In terms, in terms of a bigger platform. Um, and then like there's other things, we can do crazy things for, for you know, hotels and airports, malls. You know, we've got a whole sports stadium angle that is like, like mind blowing right now that people are like, I, I can't even believe that you can do this. Like, yes, we can do this. So, so anyway, all these pieces are kind of fitting in here. We start off with the virtual real estate stuff, make it easy and accessible for anybody. Just come in, you know, spend five bucks or whatever. And then right after that, uh, people will have the ability to have a 3D environment, whether they're making it an A-frame or Unreal or Epic, whatever, as long as it's out there, you can super easy, you can link that environment to a location. So I can grab a, I don't know, Minecraft server and then link that to my house. So you go to the map, you're like, oh, hey, there's Robert's house, click, and then bang, the, the Minecraft server opens up or the A-frame thing opens up or whatever 3D. So we're linking 3D locations, I'm sorry, spaces to locations, which is a bit of a game changer for other stuff. And then right after that, uh, probably end of February, maybe early March, depending on some timing things, we're going to have some tools that pretty much are going to let anybody you know, drag and drop 3D objects to a map. Uh, and then just go outside, turn on your phone, and there it is in, in AR. So super easy, super fast. And it's like we're just doing this all in stages over that January through that June, July sort of sort of period, and just keep layering on, layering on with the functionality. And then I, we should be announcing soon, there's uh, one or two cities we're going to be working with where we're going to be rolling out the, bit, the fuller platform for all the local businesses and points of interest and kind of, you know, some other integrations and some other partners going on um, that are just going to, you know, drive, you know, commerce and AR, VR stuff and all the cool points of interest and stuff. So, yeah, we've got a lot, lots that's happening and hopefully we can, we can, we can pull it all off, but it's a, it's been a few years worth of work trying to get to this point and we're ready to kind of pop the cork as it were. That's fantastic. Super fascinating. Well, Robert, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank We're you so much, about Robert. Following you, yeah. I'm cheering you on. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, our listeners are going to love this. Robert, thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for, for, for hosting me. So I appreciate it. <laughs>